people can argue with the gospel till they're blue in the face. They can't argue with how Jesus brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we want to share that with you so that you can have that as a way of being a person of valor to help change the world. Rising up to become people of valor. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. The Bible refers to people as having valor over 100 times. It's an attribute all of us should aspire to. Today, David and Marilyn Chadwick conclude their series of teachings called Valor with the second section of a message called Rise Up. Now, Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Labadoth, was judging Israel at that time. As a prophet and also a judge, people would come to her tree, which, again, this must have been written at a later later stage of her her life life, because she had a tree name for her. (laughs) A lot of people may have come to her and sought her wisdom with spiritual matters and also being a judge on what was right or wrong. So she's well-respected and greatly admired. Yeah, it wasn't a shrub. It was a tree, so she'd probably been there for a while. And I don't think she stayed there all the time, but she probably had a home, and then she would go. This is where she held court, you know, the Judge Judy of her world. So it's just interesting to me that, again, we don't know what what was going on with her husband. We don't even know if he was still alive. We don't know if she did or didn't have children, but apparently the writer of scripture, who we think was Samuel on this one, uh, didn't feel like he had to explain it all. He just wanted to talk about what God was using her to do. And when you were a prophet, and again, remember, she was the very first one to be called a prophet. It meant you probably spent a lot of time with God and you heard his words and then you spoke forth his words to other. And she did this. She summoned a guy named Barak, who was apparently the military general of a very broken down nation. And let's pause for just a minute to let people know that like in Gideon's day, these folks had lived a disobedient life and were being torn up by the Canaanites. It said that village life had almost ceased and the warriors had all run away into hiding. So she summons this guy, and we don't even know where he was, but she summoned, let's see, she summoned Barak and called him to go into battle. She said, and this is from Judges 4, Has not the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you, go gather your men at Mount Tabor, taking 10,000 from the people of Natali and the people of Zebulun? And from what we know at that point, these guys weren't even warriors. You know, they had run away. It was a very broken down people. And the Canaanites were godless beyond words. You cannot believe what they would do. Child sacrifice, all kinds of sexual godlessness. They were just an awful people, and yet they now were in control of God's holy chosen people. So for Deborah to rise up and go to Barak, a military general, and say, enough is enough. We're going to get rid of the Canaanites was quite an important moment in Israelite history. Yeah, and it must have caused him a little fear and quaking because um, Barak said to her, you know, basically, Deborah, if, if you go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. And she said, I will surely go with you. And this is Judges 4, 8, and 9. This was probably not so much out of fear. Everybody goes, oh, this was plan B. You know, Deborah just went because Barak was afraid to go. And I don't, I don't personally think that. And the reason is he was listed in Hebrews 11 in the New Testament as one of the great heroes of the faith. So I don't think they'd have called him a hero if this was being considered cowardice. Yeah. I just think he really liked Deborah's influence in his life. 
He heard from God. Remember, she was the only prophet at that point. So he probably liked feeling close to God, and he knew that if he wanted to win in battle, he needed to get a lot of people to come follow him. And they weren't around. They had all left in fear. Well, I think it speaks well, too, don't you, that Deborah was so respected in the Israelite community that when Barak said, I'm only going to go if you go, that's not at all (laughs) it. He was smart. He knew that she was so well-respected that if she went with him, there'd be a number of people who would follow just because she was so respected as a woman of valor. Yeah, and I'm pretty impressed with her, too, because I'm thinking if somebody called me and said, let's go over to the border of Syria and fight ISIS, and I'm not trained as a warrior, which she wasn't, I think it's pretty brave, you know, that she went. And she does go, and she has an astounding victory. Uh, What's interesting, too, is there's another woman who steps to the plate as a kind of woman of valor as the uh, Israelites are winning the battle over the Canaanites and the head of the Canaanite army flees. He goes into a tent and needs some rest and has a Jewish woman who cares for him. He falls asleep and then while he's asleep, she drives a tent peg through his temple. Woman of valor, I would say. Yeah, her name was and, Jael. Her yeah. story's so dramatic, we thought we'd need a whole other sermon to talk about her. But you can go read it. Go read Judges 4 and 5. But the point was, Deborah even prophesied that because in Judges 4, 14, she basically says to Barak, get up, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera, this is the guy that got the tent peg in his head, um, into your hands, does not the Lord go out before you? Um, so he leaves, but basically the next verse, she, she says, and God is going to give this Sisera over into the hands of a woman. So she was prophesying that a woman was going to be the one to finally take him down. Barak defeated him, and then he ran off and got the tent peg incident. And then Israel is returned to a position of greatness under Deborah and Barak's leadership, and for a while they do really well until they fall back into the sinful conditions of the neighboring nations. Then the next chapters are the Midianites come and conquer, which is the story of Gideon, the next judge that's raised up. But the point that we wanted to make here with this whole question of valor is we're in a war today. Well, Deborah we're in a real thought, war. Yeah, and I think Deborah realized that for them then, just like we realize that now. Um, let's look at when she actually went into action because we don't know what, what caused her to rise up. But in Judges 5, it says, she's saying this, basically, the villagers ceased in Israel. And some translations say that actually the warriors ceased. So the warriors had quit fighting. They ceased to be, in other words, they ceased to fight until I arose, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. So she rose up. There's that word, rise up. Last week we talked about in Proverbs 31, it talked about her children rise up and call her blessed. And I, I shared with people that that word in the Hebrew is kum, for rise up. And it's not just stand to your feet. It's talking about being strengthened and established and successful and victorious. Which When she rose up, then she called other people to rise up with her. And I think that's kind of what we're feeling like needs to happen today. She called Barack and others rise up. It's time for the church of Jesus Christ to rise up and to fight this battle that is around us. Well, and she rose up first. Isn't that interesting? She said, I arose, and we don't know what happened. The Bible doesn't really tell us what grabbed her, but something made that woman, I think she'd just had enough. (laughs) And she rose up and went into action. Then she called Barack to rise up. And look what else she did. I kind of like this girl. You know, she said, um, this is out of Judges 5, 8, 9, and realize she's talking about idolatry here because remember I said that the people had fallen into great disobedience. So she said, when new gods were chosen, when the people were idolatrous, then the war was in the gates. 
Was a shield or a spear to be seen among the 40,000 in Israel? In other words, there were no warriors anymore. My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel who willingly offered themselves among the people. In other words, she is really encouraging the ones that had the courage to fight, to get in the battle. But if you go back and read the rest of these chapters, again, just open up your Bible sometime this week, read chapter four and chapter five, and read how she calls out by name the tribes that didn't go. She called the ones to rise up that went, like Barak and others, and then she calls out the ones that were disobedient and didn't go. And this is the time, I think, to call us out to go into the world and make a difference. Um, I I love this phrase, Marilyn. It says from Deborah's words, when new gods were chosen, Mm -hmm. it it looks like the people of Israel chose new gods other than the God who ruled their country. And, And I just think in our nation as well, there are a lot of new gods. There are just a lot of new gods that, first of all, individuals are buying into, families are buying into, cities are buying into, and our nation is buying into. As I said last week, and I've said repeatedly, my greatest fear for the American Christian church is not that we would be persecuted. For persecution figures out quickly who's truly on the Lord's side. In fact, the church has grown mostly under persecution. The church in China today is exploding with millions upon millions of believers with persecution because you really know who believes and doesn't. But my greatest fear is that Christians in America will become American, that we will think the Christian life is the American mantra and nothing could be farther from the truth. We we bought the gods of materialism and sexuality and possessions and our life being formed by what other people think of us. I mean, all of these false gods that are giving us our identity instead of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've tried to call all of us, men and women alike, to be people of courage, to be people of valor, and to stand against these new gods that are imbibing us in our lives that should be rooted totally and solely in Christ. Well, and you know, I think you and I both probably would agree that one of the casualties of these faults, God, has been the, um, the breakdown of the family. In every community, mm-hmm. but the breakdown of the family. So if I were the devil, that's what I'd do. If I wanted to introduce new gods into the culture, I'd break down the family where moms and dads are the primary influencers of their children to follow Jesus and bring other gods into calling them and wooing them away. And you know, we talked some at length last week about covenant love throughout the body of Christ, how we love each other in the body as a witness to the world. They don't understand that kind of covenant love that's unconditional. But there's also good news for marriages. And you know, friends, I think it's time to win some wars that we've been losing. And you know, the news is not quite as bad as you might think when it comes to marriages among Christians. You know, you hear these statistics like, oh, one out of two marriages are broken up and Christians are no better. And I've been digging around a little more this week. I alluded to it last week. I wasn't quite sure of the statistics now, but a a really significant Gallup poll, and this was not a Christian poll, but these researchers studied Christians and found out numbers of years ago that couples that just prayed together every day, just prayed together, had a one out of 1,100 plus 
divorce rate as opposed to one out of two. Think about that. One out of over 1,100 ended in divorce. Now, that's really good news. Since that time, there have been several different studies that have really looked at the behaviors even more in depth, like worship attendance and whether they read the Bible together, whether they serve together, um, and, and the, the odds get even better. And so I think, you know, if we will fight this fight and win the wars that we should be losing, we should be a model for the watching world. And, and our friends in all communities all over this city should be able to say, we're going to have stronger marriages. Yeah, the world says marriage is a contract. The Bible says marriage is a covenant. Covenant means I'm not going anywhere. And Christian marriages that break up in divorce should be rare and few. And if they are, then we ask the question, are they praying together? Are they worshiping together? Are they studying God's word together? Because that cements two to become one. And Jesus said what God, who his spirit is joined together, no person can ever separate. And if you're in your second marriage, yeah. folks, make this Start one work. Them. Make this one a covenant. Make this one right, please. And for those of you who had someone leave you and break you up inside, please just go to the Lord and let him heal your heart. He can do that. That's letting him be your God and not the false gods of this culture, which can never, ever satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. And, and let us say again, Marilyn, we've had our times that we've gotten really ticked yeah. off at one another and could have just, in the name of Jesus, done. You know, like, like, like Ruth Graham said, we considered murder but not divorce. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've had our moments, yeah. folks. And, and, and Ruth Bell Graham also said that the key to Billy's in her marriage was they became two great forgivers. Great, great. Yeah. Two great we forgivers. Should, yes, and we should all be that in the body of Christ to one another, married or not, right? Yeah. And so I guess we're, we're a little bit ranting and raving today because <laughs> we've seen yet this week another couple of Christian marriages break up. And we just don't understand. We're perplexed and confused. We should be winning the family wars, not losing to the false idols of this culture. And then in the city as well, we're supposed yeah. to be winning, aren't we? Well, and I think too, this is where we're coming back. The book is about women, so I have more illustrations about valor from a woman's standpoint than a man. But again, this courage applies to everybody. May I just tell you real quickly, when I was in fourth grade at the church where my dad was pastoring, Mrs. Huntley looked at me one day and said, David, you have King David's calling all over your life. I've never forgotten that. And what age would you say you were at that time? I was uh, fourth grade, what, nine, nine or ten? I mean, I read a, a report. Can you all tell that I like to do research? <laughs> I read a report recently that a lot of people that become, you know, something in their life, great, or when they find their possession, I mean, their profession or their dream, for whatever reason, that age nine and ten is when most dreams in a child take root. And I think that's why I like the examples in the Bible so much of all these people of valor. And we're going to go back just for another minute with the Proverbs 31 woman. And, and we haven't done, we haven't gone through all the verses in Proverbs 31, but we've touched on the ones that sort of go along with this valor series. And like David said, she's impacting people that are not just in her family. Obviously, she loves her husband well. We saw that last week. Her children rise up. But you know what? She was pouring life out to kids that weren't her own and to other people that weren't in her own family. It says here in verse, verses 20 and 21, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She's not afraid of snow for her household, for all of her household are clothed in scarlet. And then in verse 26, it says, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness 
is on her tongue. And I just know that some of you out there have had the teaching of kindness on your tongue because you've probably impacted whether they're children or young adults or even your friends. You might not even know the people you've impacted with the teaching of kindness that's been on your tongue. And it kind of, I think what I took away from those verses is that the way we show valor differs kind of depending on the way God wired us, on what our gifts are. You know, Deborah was clearly a prophet and had a leadership gift. Well, the Proverbs 31 woman probably had a lot of leadership too, but she had some mercy in her and she had some teaching. And, you know, you and I have different gifts. I tend to be the one that likes to go dig into the words, you know, and you, te- you, know, you tend to be the one that loves to encourage people to make it practical. And so we were kind of a good team in that respect. And we just want to encourage all of you to take what we've said and make a difference in the world. Uh, there's another verse in Proverbs 31.9 where God calls us to go into the world and share his gospel and defend the weak and the poor. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So when we who follow Jesus give our lives away to the poor and needy, he's applauding in heaven. And then also to share the gospel. In 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I know one of the things that I want to do is to teach you over the next couple of years two things. First, how to share the gospel. How to share with people you're a sinner and you've fallen far short of the glory of God. But then also how Jesus died on the cross to forgive you of your sins. Folks, I've had a lot of wonderful things happen in my life. But the greatest joy to this day is still bringing someone to faith in Jesus. There's no greater joy. And we just recently read a statistic that 95% of all Christians in America have never brought anyone to Christ. That's got to change. And I hope it's not because we're not courageous enough. And then secondly, to tell your story. Because people can argue with the gospel till they're blue in the face. They can't argue with how Jesus brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we want to share that with you so that you can have that as a way of being a person of valor, single, married, whomever, to help change the world. And finally, honey, just that one last phrase that you've said so often, the prayer that people should never pray unless, unless they're, they're serious, really serious yeah. about following that Jesus. That simple prayer, it, it just goes like this. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. And I feel like he will always answer that. So, children of God, love the poor, share the gospel, give your life away. You're never closer to Jesus than when you do that. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in an insightful conversation about this morning's Moment of Hope. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Tony Marciano, President and CEO of Charlotte Rescue Mission. Let me ask you a question. What do you do when you stand at the intersection of homelessness and addiction? Let me put you in that person's shoes for just a second. What is it that you really need? You've probably been one of the individuals who stood at the end of the interstate ramp, holding a sign that said, hungry, will work for food. But you never used the money for food. You bought booze and drugs with it. And most likely, you hate your life. Your addiction has stolen every aspect of hope. You want to be part of the fabric of society, but every morning your addiction screams and you surrender to it. There is one thing you do need, and that is transformation. The place to go is Charlotte Rescue Mission. 
Charlotte Rescue Mission works from the inside out to address the root cause of someone at the crossroads of addiction and homelessness. The Rescue Mission provides free, Christian, residential, high-quality substance abuse recovery programs to members of our community who otherwise would not be able to afford such services. With a passion for holistic transformation and a love for Christ, the mission's 120-day program has transformed the lives of thousands of men and women in our community. Charlotte Rescue Mission is grateful for the financial partnership of Moments of Hope Church. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us. It's wonderful to be with you, Jen. Well, David, in this morning's Moment of Hope, you wrote about marrying a beautiful person. Would you unpack that for us? Well, I will. Uh, My dad used to say this to me and my older brother, Howard, all the time. You know, just make sure that you marry a beautiful person. That's because, like most guys, uh, we tended to look just at the outsides of a girl and find her attractive and think that's the person we should date and ultimately marry. And and dad was not against physical attraction. Don't misunderstand. He understood that that attraction needs to be there. I remember when I met my wife, Marilyn, and now we've been married over 43 years, I had a seminary prof who asked me after I had met her and I kind of hinted I liked her. He said, well, do you find her attractive? And I said, well, of course. And he said, well, always remember there needs to be some fizz in the physical. Mm. And he's right. I mean, there is that natural attraction that gets you going, but it's not what's going to keep the relationship going forever. Mm. It's as another person said that that attraction is the spark that gets the marriage engine running, but covenant and commitment are what's necessary as the gas to keep that engine running. Mm. So dad was just reminding us, hey, it's okay to have a physical attraction to somebody, but marry a beautiful person. Don't just look at the outsides. Look at the insides. Mm. Look at who the person is and make sure your hearts can melt together as one. And it was such wise advice for me because I looked not only at Marilyn's outsides, which were attractive to me, but I saw her heart. The beautiful intelligence that she has, the kind nature that she has, how much she gives to other people, how she cared more for others than herself. Mm -hmm. And that was what really attracted me. So now, after 43 years of marriage, our hearts are truly intermingled. We have become one, but it's mostly because not that we've been physically outwardly attracted to one another, but our insides, Mm -hmm. the beauty of Christ in us has become one. That is so beautiful. And it reminds me of the People say you become to look like one another the longer you're together. And I'm convinced it's because you adopt those mannerisms and that beauty, that inward beauty coming out into the two becoming one. That's exactly right. And you desire to be what the other person wants you to be. So you mold yourself inwardly to be one. And and there's some truth to that. You know, there's the old joke that people who have dogs they love after many years start looking like the dog, you know, but I think it's because of the love that's within you that is molded to be what the other person so desires. Dad also said that the best wives are probably nurses and teachers because they are sacrificing Mm -hmm. their lives in a career to serve other people. I think there's some truth to that. And I think 
Jen, I'd like to end the whole idea with Proverbs 18, 22, and I can say this to my beloved Marilyn, and he who finds a good wife finds a good thing and finds favor from the Lord. Hmm. That's because you marry a person from the inside out, not the outside in. Wow, this is so insightful and so encouraging. I just thank you so much for your thoughts today on this, David. Well, you're welcome, Jen. And you know, the whole idea of marriage lasting a lifetime is under assault in our culture. Mm-hmm. You know, people say one out of two marriages fail today, and that's the same in the Christian church. I just want to remind everyone that a recent Harvard study, not exactly a bastion of conservative evangelicalism, <laughs> but a recent Harvard study said that where a man and a woman pray together, worship together, study God's word together, and develop spiritual habits together, that their marriages are one out of over 1,000 that end in divorce. Wow. Because when two people become one spiritually, they live together. So good. Thank you so much, David. Thank you listeners for joining me today. Look forward to talking with you all tomorrow. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. We'd love to have you join us for worship this Sunday morning. We meet at Providence Day School, located at 5800 Sardis Road in South Charlotte at 10 a.m. You can find more information on our website, momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's Hopecast. They're both free and available at momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for God's spirit of unity to sweep the nation.